It's good to see you this morning, those of you who are joining us uh, for the first time, either online or here. Welcome. We are glad to have you. Uh, my name's Steve Cunningham. I get to be the senior, uh, the, the lead pastor, senior. I don't know about senior. I'm not that old. Uh, <clears throat> lead. There you go. That's better. Uh, we're just, we're, we're grateful uh, to get to... Uh, do this life together. Sometimes it can be challenging. Some of you have been going through challenging times. We've been praying for several of you and the situations you're going through. Some of you are going through great times. We've had births lately and people getting ready to, to have babies, and that's fun. And no matter what life stage you're in, we want you to know that uh, that we are here for you, that, that we believe that Christ called us to be a body, a family together that loves one another and serves one another. And so we're grateful for that opportunity uh, together. And we love the fact that we get to, as a family together, uh, get to support those around us in our community. And that's what Hope for the Holidays is all about. Uh, and last week we asked you to give and you gave big. Uh, and that's really exciting because we get to uh, really make an impact in our community through a lot of different ways. Uh, this past week, uh, we were able to help out some that we weren't even expecting. It was kind of like a last-minute thing where uh, we knew somebody who had uh, a car actually drive into their home. And uh, insurance said, yeah, we'll help out, but you have to meet this huge deductible, of which they didn't have. And so we were able to step in and fill the gap and help them out, and that was awesome. Uh, this past week, we also got to stop by Goodlessville Middle School and uh, and do a hot chocolate bar for the staff there, which is they love. But even more than that was the people that were coming in as staff and saying, man, it's been really tough. It's been a challenging year. There's been a lot of different things we're walking through, and here's all the obstacles. And just to be a sounding board and not really give them any, any answers per se, but just say, listen, we love you and we're praying for you, and that's why we're here. And that was meaningful and significant. And I want you to know that because of you, we're able to do those things. And because of you today, we're able to go and take a lot of family shopping uh, for Christmas this year. B because of you, this week, we get to go to Gateway Elementary School. We'll be giving them the gift cards, you know, that this past week that many of you went out and bought and some of you are like, oops, <laughs> I forgot about that, or I left at home, or somewhere else, or do we still have time? And I want to let you know, if you forgot those somewhere, you, you still want to participate in that, make sure to see me afterwards, or see the Watts, they're around somewhere, uh, see them afterwards, connect with one of us, we'll make sure to get that where it needs to go. We're going to be there this week uh, providing lunch at Gateway for the staff and, and, and just letting them know uh, that God loves them. We're also, in just a couple of weeks, uh, Christmas Eve morning, we're going to be going out and serving our homeless friends in the area, and we'll be uh, providing donuts and coffee and singing Christmas carols and giving them uh, some gifts for the holiday. So all because of you and because we believe that, that our life is meant to be poured out. 
That's, that's what God has called us to do. And so we're really grateful for that. I know what you're thinking. How do you keep track of all of those things that we're doing? We made a card specifically for you. Uh, if you haven't picked up one of these, it has all the information that you need to know is on there. And if there's something that's missing, you just reach out, let us know. And we're happy to let you know what's happening there. We started a series a few weeks ago called Awe and Wonder, and really the idea behind Awe and Wonder is that it's easy over time to kind of get used to things, right, for things that were at one point in time kind of moving and motivational and inspiring, and and, and you kind of were like, wow, isn't that impressive? Uh, All of a sudden, you you kind of... uh, get over it, right? For, for a lack of a better word, you're like, all right, I'm done with that. Now it's time to move on. I thought about this last night. I was driving through a neighborhood and there was a, it was a house. It was not necessarily a spectacular house. It wasn't huge or, you know, it's not in a fancy neighborhood or anything like that, but the lights, I mean, it was like Clark Griswold lived there. It was impressive, you know, and I stopped for just a minute to kind of take a look at it and take a picture of it with my phone, and then I thought to myself, I bet the neighbors have a different feel of what this house is, right? The awe and wonder for them has long since worn off, right? And sometimes that can happen to us, too, with our faith. That, that can happen to us with our understanding of who God is and how he works in our life and what our call is to be here, uh, here and now in, in this life. And so this series is all aimed at helping us restore our awe and wonder in the world today and with God. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open up. We're going to look at several different passages today because they're all tied together. Uh, But if you have your Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 19. Jesus here in this section of scripture, he's, he's getting ready for his life on earth to be over. He's getting ready to meet the cross. And so time is valuable and he's not wasting a second of it. Then Matthew chapter 19, we read just a few, three short verses, in fact, that really pack a punch if we, if we stop and let it. And here's what happens. Matthew chapter 19, starting in verse 13, it says this. Then the people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the d- disciples rebuked them. And Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And when he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. Now, I want to start with helping us gain a perspective in this story, because I think most of us grew up, and, and these words are partly in a song somewhere, so we're familiar with it, and we kind of know uh, what's already happening, and it's so short that it seems like, all right, that's cute. That's great. We love that idea. What do we do with it, right? And so I want us to help, help understand the historical significance of what's happening here. And I think for some of us, we've been told some things that aren't necessarily true about what was happening at the time, especially with children. I don't know about you, but I grew up with the understanding that kids in in this kind of uh, culture, the the ancient culture, uh, were kind of treated as as animals or, you know, treated kind of worse than dogs or, uh, you know, it's kind of like they were were slaves or or something like that. that. That's not really true. 
What we find is that there were children at the time that were both valuable and vulnerable. They were both valuable and vulnerable. And what I find true is that's still true for us today, isn't it? That children can be both valuable, we see that around, but they can also be very vulnerable. And I think that's why that there's so many of us who, who try so hard to look out and care for and make sure that children are, are people who are well taken care of and well protected in this life because we know the risk associated there. But there were some significant things that were happening with children in that time and culture as well. Historians would say that infant mortality rate was about 50% for kids, meaning one in every two would pass away before they reach the age of 12. That's pretty significant. And we look a lot about how we, how we understand our bodies and germs and all the things that we need to do to kind of take care of those things that they didn't really necessarily know at the time. And all the different sicknesses and diseases and all those things that kind of came up. So we understand that those people who are the most at risk were the ones that were most paying the price. And we see that. We also know that a lot of children who were born into poverty, in fact, some of the children who were born into poverty were also born into a type of slavery, an oppressive system. We read about the Jewish people who were born into exile, who, were, who some of them were born under Roman oppression. And the only way for that family to continue on and be able to feed and care for itself was that the children would work alongside of the parents or that the children would sometimes be forced to kind of go out from underneath their parents and work for other people to support the family. We don't see that today, but that was certainly something that happened back then. And so we understand that those children were at risk. But another common thing that would happen at the time is that those who were religious, and there were many kinds of religions at that time, those who were religious would understand what a, what a blessing it would be to take their children to a teacher, to take them to a rabbi, to take them to somebody who is prominent and have that person bless them, have that person hold them, have that person pray over them. And so many rabbis would make it a habit that, that they would say, hey, listen, I, you bring your child to me and I will bless them. And I'll make sure that I, I place my hands on them and speak a blessing over their life. And so that was common practice of the day, not just with Jesus, but certainly it happened with Jesus. And in this story, we find that parents were bringing their small children, children who couldn't do it on their own, right? They couldn't get there on their own. They're bringing them to Jesus and having Jesus bless them. Except for the fact that this really upset seemed to get underneath the skin of the disciples, his closest followers, the people who had been traveling around with him and seeing all the things that he had been doing. This didn't fit in the agenda, and I honestly am not sure what was going on. I don't know if the disciples dismissed the children because they had a different agenda that day. They felt like there were some more important things that should have been happening, and so they said, you know, listen, children don't fit into this equation. I don't know if they just weren't children people, right? You've... you've You've met some of you, some of you are those people, right? Like some of you have children and you're not children people. You didn't figure it out till afterwards. I don't know what was going on. 
Maybe they saw them as a nuisance. Maybe they saw them as a waste of time. Maybe they saw them as not valuable enough to sacrifice for. And just a side note here, I'll tell you. One of the most heartbreaking things that I think a church can do is neglect the ministry to children. It, it has happened in, in, in many different places I've been where it's like, all right, now we have to coax and beg and plead for people. That like, would you please just spend time with our kids and help them learn more and more about Jesus? Like, not me. And maybe, maybe that's our way of identifying with the disciples here. It's like, no, 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 I understand it, but this is, this is just not the place. I'm not the people. We're not the people. Like, we don't have the time for that. That's out of our comfort zone. So maybe you can take them to the next rabbi over. He, he's kind of more of a people. We're just not a kid kind of group right here. And so if you just take them there, that would be good. And so they dismiss everybody, and Jesus says, no, 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 no. That's not how we do it. That's not how I do it. And that's certainly not what I've taught you before. See, Jesus actually just finished talking to them about how much he loves children and how important they are to understanding the faith in Christ now, we're reading a story in Matthew chapter 19, but if you just turn back one over, Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 1, he has this talk with them about children. It says this, Matthew chapter 18, verse 1, at that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked him, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? I'm thinking one of them is, is, is hoping that he's going to say them. I have a conclusion that that's true based on another verse we're going to look at today. He called a little child them and placed that child among them. And he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like a little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. See, the disciples had already been taught just a little bit ago about how Jesus viewed children in the kingdom of heaven, and they had forgotten it quickly. Jesus says, hey, listen, this child among you, you need to be more like them. And just a few teachings over, all of a sudden people are bringing children. And the disciples are like, no, we don't do that. No, we don't have time for that. No, it's not what we're about right now. And Jesus has to remind them, no, 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 no. This is what I've come to do. This is important. This is valuable. This is meaningful. And I'm, I'm here to tell you, church, that if we aren't careful, if you and I aren't careful, we will replace Jesus for what makes us comfortable. It just happens. There are things that Jesus teaches us to do that may us like, I would really just rather forget that part. I would really just rather abandon that part because that just does not feel like that's a kind of me thing to do. And so we leave that off to the side, and we embrace what makes us feel a little bit more comfortable. But I will tell you that this teaching of Jesus must have been really prominent 
It must have been something that kind of surfaced over and over and over again in just a few short years. Remember, Jesus' ministry on earth was only three years long. But it shows up in all the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We read this story. And we read how Jesus encourages the disciples to look at the lives of children, to look at the faith of children, and to embrace that. In fact, what happened was that this teaching became so prominent that Jesus' brother, James, winds up reteaching this lesson after Jesus has lived his life, died on a cross, been buried, rose again, and ascended into heaven. Now, if you've heard me talk about James before, then, then, you, then you've probably heard this. But if you've not, I'll tell you that I believe James is one of the biggest indicators that Jesus was who he claimed to be, the Son of God, because you have to ask yourself this question. What would it take for you, those of you who have siblings, to believe that your sibling is the Son of God? Yes, right? <laughs> Some of you are getting that, right? And here's James. Then this is, this is James' true story. You can take your own time to look this up. But James didn't believe in the hype of Jesus while Jesus was on earth before he died. In fact, James multiple times tries to talk Jesus, you know, down out of the tree. He's like, listen, you're making a mockery of yourself. You're making a mockery of our family. I can't believe you're doing this. You need to, you need to kind of stop and reel yourself in. But Jesus dies He's buried, and then he raises again, and all of a sudden James goes, well, maybe I was wrong. Because that's what it would take for me to believe my brother was the son of God too, all right? And so James winds up being becoming a leader in the church, and he begins teaching people the things that Jesus taught them while he was in ministry. And here's what happens in James chapter 1. If you've never read James, you should. It's a great book. It's chocked full of amazing wisdom that will kind of leave you reeling. The whole time, James, is he holds no punches. He kind of lets loose on us, and he teaches us how to live like Christ. And in James chapter 1, starting in verse 22, I told you we're going to be a little bit of all over today, but, but it all makes sense in the theme James chapter 1, starting in verse 22, it says this, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. This kind of sounds like Jesus as he's wrapping up the, the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Remember, he says there's a, a wise and foolish builder. Some of you remember the splat story from your days in, in Sunday school, right? The, the, the wise and foolish builder there. Same thing. He says, listen, it's not just about hearing the word, it's about putting it into practice. He says, anyone who listens to the word but doesn't do what it sells is like somebody who looks at his face in a mirror, and after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. And James says, you know how crazy it would be if one day you woke up in the mirror and you thought, you know, I got to get ready for work and you looked and your hair was like sticking straight up and you looked like you just came out of a horror film, right? There's kind of drool stains still down your face and sleep marks. And he says, you know, if you looked in the mirror, you saw that and then you went away and did nothing about it, how crazy that would be? You wouldn't do that. You look into the 
perfect law that casts back who you really are, and you stay there until something changes, until you do something about the mess that you see. And this is what James is talking all about. And then he says, those who consider themselves religious. All right, I looked in the mirror and I'm like, I'm feeling good about myself. And yet don't keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. You want to know what God sees as, as fruitful in his quest to follow him? Then you look at the way that you're living your life and you look out for those around you. See, you're the most like Jesus, James would say, when you embrace the ones who are thought of the least. You're the most like Jesus when you embrace the ones who are thought of the least. And this is what Jesus teaches us to do. Over and over and over again, Jesus embraces the ones who everybody else dismisses. Jesus says, no, 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 you try to stop people. You, you see them as a nuisance. You see them as an interruption. You, you see them as something that kind of deviates from the schedule. And I say, that's what I came here for. You, you see them as a side note, kind of a, a side issue. And I see them as the reason why I'm here. That's my whole ministry See, this is why we do hope for the holiday. It's what it's all about. It helps us remember that this life isn't just about me. It, it helps me remember that my money is not mine, that my time isn't mine, that I have to think about somebody else other than myself 24-7. And oddly enough, it's that kind of thinking that really, truly does restore awe and wonder in our life. Several years ago, we got the opportunity to go to Honduras, and it was uh, just an incredible time, and we decided that we would try to go back as often as we possibly could. And so just a few weeks ago, uh, many of you prayed for us as we were away for a week in Honduras, and it's just it's something about being there for, uh, or being on any kind of mission trip where you, where you serve people who literally have nothing, and yet they're some of the happiest people in the world. There are people who, man, they, they walk in the doors of, uh, it, we would say like a church, or, or it, they walk in the door anywhere, and you're ready to, to worship with them, and it's like game on. I mean, they are, they're, they're singing from the top of their lungs, that they can't get enough. And it's in those moments when it's the forgotten about, when it's the poor in spirit that restores our sense of awe and wonder. Sometimes our society, our life, tries to tell us it's all about us. Right? Remember that? Remember Matthew 18 when they say, like, all right, who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to be the best? The disciples never 
quit that, that whole thought process. They actually come back to it. Did you know that? They ask that in, in Matthew uh, chapter 18, and remember what Jesus does, right? He grabs a little child from apparently outside of the ring, because there's no way a child would be in the ring. And Jesus says he comes and he brings the child in among them, and he says, this one. And then they come back and they, later, and, and the children are coming to Jesus, and he's like, uh, the disciples are like, no, 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 no. And he's like, no, no, no. And then another chapter over, if you have your Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 20. This story cracks me up. It's such like a Jewish mom. You remember this story? James and John, they're with their mom who somehow enters the picture. And she approaches Jesus and she says, all right, listen, I need you to promise me that when you get into your kingdom, that one of them is going to sit on the right and the other one's going to sit on the left. And in some ways, I have a feeling that James and John were like, mom, but then they were kind of like, yeah, mom, if you could pull any strings, right? Maybe he just needs a good Jewish mother to kind of, you know, remind him. And do you remember what Jesus says? He, he, he says, listen, number one, that's not a question we ask. You don't even know what you're asking. But number two, <laughs> that's not how this system works. Listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 25, as he's kind of finishing addressing not only James and John and their mama, who's right there, but all the rest of the disciples who are now mad because it may not be them who's the second and third in command. Says this, Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 25, Jesus calls them all together because they're all bent out of shape. And he says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Stop right there. You know what he's saying? You know how the system works. You know how it works when it's like, all right, I finally got to the top. Now what happens? Well, I get to have it my way. Because I finally got in a position where I can have it my way. And so everything that happens, happens my way. He says, you know how that happens like everywhere, right? For everybody who finally gets a little bit of power, a little bit of control, a little bit of money, you finally start thinking, okay, well, now it's all about me. And Jesus says, not so with you. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, Jesus' disciples wanted to have this prominent place in the kingdom, but he reminds them that while the world leverages the power and authority and resources for themselves, this is not what he teaches. And this is for us. See, if I want to have a permanent, a, sorry, a prominent place in Christ's kingdom, then I have the responsibility to leverage what God gave me for someone other than me. 
God gave you abilities. He gave you resources. He gave you gifts. He gave you time. He gave you energy. He gave you a home. He gave you a car. He gave you your health. And he gave all of those things to you so that you could leverage it, not for you, but for somebody else for somebody else who's disadvantaged, for somebody else who is the least of these, for somebody else who needs a cup of cold water. And this is what helps us restore our awe and wonder in the world because Christ calls us to go to the places where nobody else wants to go and to be for the people that nobody else wants to be for. And that's what I love about this time of year for us. It's a reminder that, yes, we gather together and we celebrate and those are wonderful things, but we concentrate the most on the least of these. This week, as we have done uh, every week so far during this series, we, we give you a challenge. And I'm going to tell you, this is, this is a huge challenge, uh, but, it's not, but it's not really requesting that much of you. Um. Some of you, how many of you already sponsor a child? Some of you sponsor a child already. Uh, my family and I, we sponsored a child for probably the last like 11 years-ish, roughly. Um, and uh, it's a great thing uh, to be able to do that. There's lots of different organizations to be able to do that. But you recognize that there's children still all over the world who still need help and still need hope. And so what we've done is we have uh, we've looked at this place called Didasco. Didasco is, is Greek for teaching. And what they do is they take kids who are uh, in, in the most dire of circumstances and they bring them into a home where they help educate them and train them and teach them and give them skills so they can not be in, in poverty the rest of their life and to be able to not be uh, taken advantage of. And so what we've done is if you pick up one of these cars today, it's going to encourage you, if you already have a, a, a kid, some of you already do that, you sponsor a kid, to, to write them a letter this year, right, uh, over this Christmas time and just say, listen, you are loved, you are chosen, and we're so thankful for you. But if you don't, then we encourage you as your family to think about, could you sponsor a child this year? Now, you can do that through any organization, that you want to, uh, but if you partner with a place called Didasco, they're, they're centered right there in Honduras, in Tegucigalpa, Honduras. I know many of you are looking forward to traveling with us here in the future to go to Honduras, and not only get to sponsor these children, but you'll actually get to meet them, and you get to spend time with them, and you can, you can fly out there and, and uh, spend an hour, take them to a restaurant. Many of them have never ever in their life been to something like that. That's like if I was to take you to, I, I don't know, you know, like the White House or some of you are like, I don't want to go there uh, or somewhere. <laughs> I don't know. I'm thinking on the fly, right? Something that you'd really, really love that you'd never be able to do on your own, whatever that is. And you get to spend time with them and show them that they're loved and chosen. You get to write back and forth with them and watch them grow in Christ and as a person. And so we have the information there on the screen, but we also have it on the card where you can, as a family, surround them. And here's what I want to let you know, okay? If Wellhouse as a church, if every, if every partner that we had here sponsored a child through Didasco, they wouldn't have anybody left unsponsored. So can you make a difference? <laughs> 
you better believe it. You had better believe it. And not only is this somebody who's so far away in another country, but somebody you can meet face to face and understand your impact, that God, the way that God's using you and, and the resources that he's blessed you to bless somebody else. So I encourage you today, don't, don't let it be like, oh, that's a cool idea, that's a neat idea. No, this is, this is something that the gospel calls us to do is to take care of other people, right? So look into it. It's not a guilt trip, it's an opportunity that Christ has called us to. And so I pray that you will look at that with your family this week as we continue to bring hope to the world around us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and give you peace. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with tremendous joy, May you be swept away in God's love for you and transformed through the Holy Spirit's power within you. Thanks be to the only God, our Savior, who is unparalleled and unchanging, who is matchless and merciful, who is supreme and sufficient, who is before all things, through all things, and in all things, both now and forever. Amen. Would you stand with us as we continue in worship? Amen.